A little over uh, 10 years ago, I was working on my dissertation, and my dissertation was in the area of premarital counseling. And as a part of that, I, I did a survey of couples. I did a survey to 100 couples, and they had to be married less than 10 years. I, I wanted them to be able to actually remember getting married and, you know, what those original days were like as they were going into that first, second, and third year of marriage. And so with that kind of proximity, I asked them this question, what do you believe after what you've just been through? You may have been married a week ago. You may have been married eight, nine years ago. But after what you've just been through, what do you believe is the most important thing a couple needs to know before they get married? And I gave them a list of things that they could, they could check off or the proverbial other that they could put an answer that I didn't list. And on that question, 68% of the men and 76% of the women had the same answer. You believe that? Men and women agreeing together. It's crazy. What's even crazier is that men thought this. 68% of the men, 76% of the women said the number one thing a couple needs to know when they get married is how to communicate. And, and as they had, a, and I also rated their second answer, their third answer, and, and their second answers were different. Their third answers were different. But in their second and third answers, their respondents were less than 10% in both of those cases. So far and away, folks, there wasn't a second place. I, what, what couples want to know, what people need to know when getting married is how to communicate. Oh, there are some wonderful things we want to say. There are some wonderful things we want to hear in marriage. Things like, I love you. you. You make me proud to be married to you. I love every moment we have together. You, you make me better. But somewhere, the words get jumbled. And what comes out is just not quite sounding like that. Things like, it's impossible to make you happy. You're always mad. Oh, I can't do anything right. And of course, everybody's favorite. You're just like your mother. <laughs> Boy, mom, moms kind of take it on the chin there, don't they? I don't know that there's anything wrong with being like mom. Oh, we get lost in that. You know, it, is communication really rocket science? Is communication really something that, that only a precious few individuals or, or just a handful of couples are ever really going to be able to achieve? Because, I mean, it's across the board. We're saying, I can't, we can't communicate. I guess here's really the question of what I'm trying to get at today. Is this a knowledge issue? We don't know how to communicate? Or is maybe it a motivation issue? I don't want to communicate. What I want to look at today is five commands that God gives us for communicating. Now, now notice I said commands. I, I didn't say principles, need ideas, communication, self-help. You don't get to take this or leave this. You don't get to pick out one or two and try them. All five are commands. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're happy in marriage or unhappy in marriage, whether you like your mate or don't like your mate, whether you've been married a few months or, or a whole lot of decades, it doesn't matter. You're to be doing these things. This is how we are to communicate. And what you see in these, is in these ways of communicating, they're our way of showing God to, to each other 
to our kids, to our society. Remember, the home, it has as its purpose communicating and showing God. Folks, God's a communicator. God's not into mysteries. He's not into to guessing. He's not into codes. He's not into you trying to figure it out. God's into revealing. God's into being clear and communicating. And that's what it's to look like in our marriage. So five commands here. You're going to be able to remember these five commands. I've kind of put them in a little acronym. Can you hear me now? Okay? Can you hear me now? First, first command. C, clarity. Clarity. But your yes is to be yes. Your no is to be no unless you come under judgment. The idea here, folks, is very simple. Be clear. When you speak, be clear about what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your expectations are, what you're wanting to say. Be clear. Now, I think you and I would have a tendency to look at a point like that and say, I woke up for this. I mean, that, that's just stupid. That's, that's just way too easy. That's way too simplistic. As a matter of fact, that's so simple, it's not a point. That, that, that's just too obvious. Well, if it's so obvious, then why is one of the most repeated statements in marriage things like, well, if I have to tell you, just forget it. If I have to tell you, just forget it, it's just the opposite of that. Well, if I have to explain it, never mind. You, you should have known. You know, I'll tell you something. I'm going to tell you one of my biggest communication sins in marriage. And notice I said plural. I'd love to say I did this once, like, you know, 17 years ago. But I tend to do this pretty regularly. I think I'm getting better at it. My number one communication sin against my wife is I will have a thought, a feeling, an idea, something that I want, and, and I will go to communicate that to Karen. I won't just tell her. No, I've got to just, like, you know, put out a little clue. Just a little hint. Maybe a, a little half sentence. Now, I don't really know how she's supposed to get that, but guess what? When she doesn't get it, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be angry as if I'd written that in the sky and she just rejected it. She has rejected what I said. She's rejected me. She's mean. She doesn't love me. Look what I got saddled with. God, what were you thinking? I mean, I will act like I have communicated as clear as a bell. And you want to know the real insanity of it? Deep down inside I know I didn't communicate. I know I strung along little secret codes and a couple of little ideas. Good luck getting it. And then I judge her for not getting it. Now I'm going to step out on a limb here and say, I bet I'm not the only one who does that. You give your mate almost no communication and then you judge them, you jump on them when they don't get it. You know what this verse is saying? See, what we do when we communicate, and, and folks, I'm focusing on the mate, but these are general communication principles with anybody, and we have a lot of these communication problems with anybody and everybody. You see, in communication, I tend to put the responsibility on my wife. It's her job to understand what I'm saying. It's her job to get it. It's her job to know what I'm thinking and feeling. It's her job to know what my expectations are. I put the burden of communication on her. And what this verse says, God's saying, oh no, you take that burden and you put it right back on yourself. The burden of communication is on me. It's my job, as well as hers, as well as yours. It's the communicator's job to be clear. 
Now, when it says, let your yes be yes and no be no, you can kind of quote that like you're supposed to give short, curt, rude answers. That's not what that's saying. When it says, let your yes be yes, it means, you know what? When you have communicated, it's clear. You you don't have to go back and defend. You don't have to go back and re-explain. You are working at it being clear what you're saying first time around. You're working at your communication being so clear, you can stand on it. You, you've said it. You don't have to back up. You don't have to pedal back. You don't have to re-explain. You said what you meant to say. Be clear. Let's look at the second principle. Can you... That's why our second word is yield. Yield. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, a lot of us just got in trouble right there with one phrase. So let's just go right on past it. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, as is good for building up, as is good for encouraging, as is good for healing, as is good for fixing. That's all the kind of words that are come out of my mouth according to the need of the moment so, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then James 1.19, we must be quick to hear, quick to listen, very slow to engage this. Very slow to anger. What these passages are saying, folks, is that I'm going to yield my right to be heard. My right to vent. My right to get. Now, I'm not sure where on this planet it says I have that right, but I live by that right every single day, don't you? I've got a right to be heard. And, And you know what? This passage isn't necessarily saying you shouldn't ever be heard. It's saying that the goal of my communication is not me. The goal's not me being heard. The goal's not me venting. The goal is not me getting. But instead, I'm thinking about as I speak, what's going on in that person's life? What's going on in my mate's life? What are they going to hear when I say this? What's their need? Where are they? What are they dealing with? You know, I think God would say, if you want to be a good communicator... Your first thought is, am I listening enough? That, that almost sounds silly, doesn't it? Usually I think, I need to say something else. I, I didn't say enough. No, God says, no, try this. I didn't listen enough. Am I listening enough? Am I aware of their need? That person I'm speaking to, that thing I'm trying to communicate, am I aware of where they are, what they're dealing with, and what the need is in their life? The goal of my communication becomes them. I'm yielding that right to make it all about me. Let's look at our third one. Can you hear? H. Honesty. Honesty. Colossians 3.9 very simply says, do not lie to one another. I know a lot of you are pretty familiar with Scripture, and you know there's like, what, a hundred other places where that is said? This is kind of a big one for God. It even made the top ten. Thou shalt not lie. Now, I'm going to go a little bit different direction with this than maybe you thought. You see, what, what I'm supposed to do here is talk about, you know, what happens when you're caught in that lie and how it hurts and how that breaks down trust and how that hurts communication. That's kind of obvious, so I want to approach it from a different angle. I want to assume you're a pretty good liar. You you get away with it most of the time. Eight, nine times out of ten, you're going to skate. It actually, you know, it it, it smoothed things over. It made things okay. Nobody's, Nobody's none the worse. 
Nobody ever even finds out that you just lied. Did you know in that moment you're still destroying communication? Think, no, 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 everybody's happy, it worked, we're good, let's go. No, you're still destroying communication. Because see, the very nature of lying means I'm going to be a tad evasive. I'm going to need to put just a little bit of distance. I'm not very comfortable, I'm lying here. So I've got to put a little bit of distance... A little bit of separation. Folks, these attitudes, these actions are the absolute opposite of intimacy. They're the absolute opposite of oneness. This is the opposite of anything that produces communication. So even if you get away with the event, even if you get away with the moment of lying, the the foundation you're laying is one and still in which your communication is going to crumble. Maybe another way to look at this is, You know, God told us where lies come from, didn't He? Who's the father of lies? Satan. So when I step into a moment with my mate, at work, with a friend, anywhere, I step into a moment and I determine, well, you know what I need to do here is lie. At that moment right there, I am literally, folks, you are literally asking God to get out. Could you go do something else? Get away from me. I don't want you in this relationship. I don't want you in this conversation. Satan and I will handle this together. Now, folks, where do you think that's going? What is that going to do for communication, short-term, long-term, any-term? It's breaking down communication, even if you think you're getting away with something. Can you hear me? M, mouth control. We need some mouth control. Look at Proverbs 29. Do you see a man? You know, it's amazing if we just listened to Scripture and believed it. Because we don't do this one right here. This very simple thing. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? Do you know that every one of us this week at least once has been quick to speak? Probably at least once has been to jump in and give our two cents on what we think about that. You know what? There's more hope for a fool than you. That's what God said. There's more hope for a fool. 1 Peter 3.10, the one who desires life to love and to see good days. Man, I desire all those things, don't you? That's all the things I want. You must keep your tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let's look at the next passage. And the tongue is a fire. And I got one reference there, but really a lot of James chapter 3 is about this. I encourage you to read it. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, the members of our body. I've got tongue, I've got fingers and ears and hair, I've got all that stuff. But that little thing right there, as a member of our body, which defiles the entire body, and it sets on fire the course of our life. This thing's dangerous. That's, what, that's all that God is saying in James 3. This thing behind our lips is incredibly dangerous. It is incredibly destructive to your life, to your relationships. We need to get control of it. Now, I want to suggest an exercise for getting control of your tongue. Don't use it. What do you mean, don't use it? This week, this week, you're going to come upon a situation, a, a, a person, a conversation, and... Man, they need to hear something from you. Don't. Don't what? Don't say all of it? No, don't say any of it. Just don't speak to it. Now, I'm not saying don't speak because you're wrong. No, you may be completely and totally right. 110% you're in the right. I'm not saying don't speak because that person doesn't need to hear it or that situation doesn't need that. No, they may actually need it. They're... 
You may have picked the wrong one not to speak and, and something gets lost there. But in the big picture, I think the world will keep turning. In the big picture, I think we'll keep going on. I think the more important thing to do for you to speak in that one event that needs your little pearl of wisdom on it is to shut your mouth. Start exercising not saying something. Now, obviously, folks, the goal is not to stop speaking. But remember, my goal is to get control of this. The first step in getting control is getting it to just stop moving altogether. Now that it's not moving, maybe I have a chance to start here. This is a wild, crazy idea. Pray! God, is that really what I need to say in this moment? God, would you make sure my tone of voice matches what I'm trying to say in this moment? Hey, God, what's the need of that person? Remember that? The goal of what I'm about to say is not me. The goal is them and their well-being and the goodness of this situation. Would you give me wisdom on what's going on in, in their life? I mean, folks, this is not necessarily easy, but it absolutely works. Just stop talking for a moment. Stop saying what needs to be said and start working at not speaking. And then once you get ready to re-engage this very, very dangerous instrument, hopefully some prayer has covered it. Hopefully some prayer has gotten control of it. So we need mouth control. Last one. Can you hear me now? N. Never assume evil. These two phrases here come out of 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of y'all might know that as the, the chapter that describes love. There's a, a series of things that describe what love is, what love does. And this is two of them. It says there, love is not provoked and love believes all things. Powerful. What that means to communication. Love is not provoked means love's not looking for a fight. I mean, folks, your, your mate's going to be wrong. They're going to do the wrong thing. They're going to say the wrong thing. They, they said it with the wrong tone of voice. They meant to say it with the wrong tone of voice. They're grumpy. They didn't meet your need. They don't care about your need. Your mate is going to be wrong. You know, and so in we come to get them. They tripped. I'm going to be there to get them. Okay, yeah, but, but maybe what if one time you'd let them trip and just look the other way? What if maybe every time they failed, you, you didn't? pointed out you know it's interesting this concept of love is not provoked because because obviously you can always interchange the word love with god isn't it amazing how many people have this concept this idea of god that he's really angry he's hanging over the precipice of heaven with a bolt of lighting just waiting till you trip just waiting till you do the wrong thing and then zap god lets you have it have you ever thought of how many times god didn't let you have it have you ever thought of how many times you didn't get zapped? I mean, let's bring it down a little bit. How many times could God have zapped you this week? I'm looking around the room. I don't see any burn marks on top of anybody's head. Folks, I'm not saying we should be okay with sin or have a cavalier attitude about sin. God's against sin. God cares about sin. There is consequences for sin. But folks, God's not up there waiting till you trip so He can let you have it. God's up there waiting to forgive you. So many passages in the Bible use these phrases of God. God is slow to anger. 
He is abounding in loving kindness. God is not looking for a fight. And you better praise Him for it because that's going to be a short fight. God's not looking to zap you. And you know what? Remember what we've said all along? Whatever God's calling me to be and do in a marriage, He's been and done. He is being and doing. God's not calling me to do anything different. Remember, my marriage, my communication is to show God. That means if I'm going to show God to my kids, my mate, to this world, I can't be easily provoked. I can't be there jumping at it every time my mate fails. I'm not quick to do that. I'm not ready to do that every single time. I'm going to let some slide. Why? Because God sure let a whole lot slide with me. God sure a lot of places, let a lot of places where He could have let me go. And I'm supposed to do that for everybody, certainly starting first and foremost in my own home and in my own marriage. And maybe something that will help me to do that will be that next phrase. Love believes all things. You know what? Love thinks the best. I'm looking at a situation. Something's wrong. <laughs> this, this isn't right. I'm pretty sure they're guilty. But I want to believe the best. You know what we do, folks? And I think, I think we all do this. Our mate commits a level five infraction against us. He said, what's a level five infraction? I have no idea. I'm making this up. But, but you'll, you'll see where I'm going. They have committed a level five infraction against me. That's what Karen has done. Level five offense against me. Now, after I lay there and stew on it, get mad about it and think over and over it, when I go to confront her, I confront her for a level 10 infraction. Now, she's guilty. Absolutely guilty of level five. But when I come at her with a level 10, well, we're not going to discuss down here what happened at a level five, and maybe she might even apologize for it. No, she's going to start fighting and proclaiming her innocence at a level 10 because she didn't commit a level 10. I mean, where's our communication going from here? Nowhere good. Nowhere good. You see, when we look at our mate and, and others, when we see them fail... We usually turbocharge it. We add meaning behind what they did. We add motivation behind what they did. We build it up. We build ourselves all up in this. And then, boom, comes the attack. This says, you know what? They're guilty. I mean, folks, do you understand? This, this principle is not about them being innocent. No, they're, they're guilty. They've done wrong. But I'm not looking for a chance to get them every time they did. And when I do go get them, because sometimes we got to, right? This is not saying be a doormat. This is not saying problems never need to be confronted. But when I go to confront them, you know what? I'm going to believe the best. I'm not going to add a bunch of meaning beyond what I know is a fact, what I've seen and watched. We're going to believe the best. Now let's think about what we got here. I'm going to be clear. I'm going to yield. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it all about me. I'm going to be honest. Uh, can you hear me? Mouth control now. And I'm not going to assume evil. I'm going to believe the very best. Folks, those five things, those commands on your life and in my life are not hard. Don't, don't sit there and say, I can't do that. I didn't understand that. It wasn't that hard to understand. And you can do it. You absolutely can do every single one of those things. You don't need to go to a, a seminar and learn more about this. You don't need to go somewhere and have it more explained. You don't need to pray for extra strength and power to do things. You can do them. The reason you don't is because you don't want to. 
See, I am suggesting that when I, when we say that we can't communicate, it's not a knowledge problem. It's a motivation problem. I don't want to communicate. You see, the real problem in communication is sin. God commanded that I love. I choose, I choose to be selfish. God commanded that I forgive. I choose to be bitter and angry and remember every wrong thing done. God choose, God told me, commanded me to choose oneness. I choose separateness. I choose to be distant. I choose to punish him with the silent treatment. I want to let him know I don't want to be near him. You see, I just, I rebel and I disobey at every single point. And yes, folks, that's when we create an environment in which it feels very difficult, if not impossible, to communicate. So we build this environment. We did it. We totally did it by ignoring, rejecting, and rebelling against everything God has said. And then say, I can't communicate. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what our problem is. We just can't seem to communicate. Oh, your problem is you're a sinner. Your problem is you're choosing not to do what God has said. That's the problem. We don't see and understand the power of what's happening in our communication. And we're destroying. March 30th, uh, year 2000 edition of USA Today reported on a study that said that, that just in how a couple talks to each other can determine whether they make it in a marriage or not. As a matter of fact, the study was done by the University of Washington. It was a 10-year study. And they got to the place in their study where they said, we could watch a couple communicate for the first six months of their marriage and we can nail it whether that's a divorce or a success. And we're going to be right almost every single time. By no other issue in marriage but in how they talk to each other. Man, who knew? Who knew it was something so simple that the strength, the health, the well-being of our marriage could be dependent on something as little in how we talk to each other. Man, think of the marriages that could have been saved if we didn't own this before March 30 of 2000. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? I think, yeah, I think God said this 2,900 years ago. He said it with a very simple little phrase. It looks like this. Proverbs 18, 21. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is a powerful verse. You know what it means? It means this week, this very week, you spoke death into your marriage. You spoke death into your kids. You spoke death maybe into your own soul. Or you spoke life into your marriage. Life into your job. Life into that relationship. Life into your kids. Life into your own soul. Now, you know, I think our tendency is to, is to look at a statement like that and maybe how I just explained it and kind of go, whoa, back up, man. That, that's, that's really over the top. You see, I don't think we really think our words are doing that day in and day out. Oh, I mean, yeah, we might be able to go to a place where we really saw some good that our words did, or we might even confess and acknowledge, yeah, I, I mean, I remember once some words that were really hurtful, really cutting and bad. 
I think, you know, maybe 2% of the time words are speaking life. Or 2% of the time they're, they're speaking death. But, but most of the time it's just words. And you could not be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. How you talk, what you're saying to your mate, your kids, the people around you, day in and day out, is speaking life and death. I don't know about y'all, but that's kind of, ooh. It kind of makes you think, man, what? Okay, let me, what did I say this week? Well, what, what have I been communicating to my wife, to my kids? What did I say at work? What am I speaking? And you know where it gets really difficult is where we're angry. And that's really where, and usually not speaking a lot of words of life when we're angry, right? We can all agree on that. Yeah, when we're angry, and we're going to be angry, aren't we? I mean, in any and every marriage, the mate's going to fail. They're going to disappoint. They're not going to meet expectations. And naturally, we're going to be hurt, disappointed. We're going to be angry about that. And then we're going to go to express that anger. Now, this is really a big deal because, yes, even in anger, I'm to be communicating God. Boy, our kids really need to see this. We live in a nation that's out of control with its temper and anger. And I mean, folks, 100% guarantee your kids are going to be lied to, abused, betrayed, rejected, hurt. They're going to feel anger in their world. And they're going to learn how to handle that anger by watching good old mom and dad. Not the, not the lecture you give them on anger. Not the Bible study you give them on anger. They're going to express their anger by what they see in how you express anger. That's a fun thought, isn't it? So it's really important we get this. How are we to handle our anger. I want to give just a couple quick thoughts here. Powerful, overwhelming thoughts. This next one is a memory verse that you should think about almost daily. Look at what James chapter 1 says. For a man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I find that disturbing. If I understand it rightly, it's saying, Randy, your anger is never going to make anything better. It doesn't say, Randy, if you'll pray about it, there's a decent chance your anger will accomplish God's righteousness. Randy, if you'll take the following three steps, most of the time your anger can accomplish God's righteousness. It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say about your anger and my anger? It says, it does not. Not not yesterday, not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Your anger isn't going to fix anything. First principle of our anger, don't trust my anger. Trust God's anger to handle it. Now, folks, therein lies our problem because we don't trust God's anger. I mean, that's kind of a judgmental statement, but I feel very comfortable making it. I feel very comfortable making it almost completely across this entire room. You don't trust God's anger. God's anger is not going to give them the lesson you know they need to get. God's lesson, God's anger is not going to handle it fast enough. It needs to happen today, right now, Lord. And worst of all, God's anger may not let you see them get punished. See, if I'm angry, I get to see him hurt and squirm and feel uncomfortable. God may not allow me to do that. So I've got all kinds of problems with God's anger. Mine is so much better. And because I can't trust, because you can't trust God's anger, then you step in with all your righteous indignation. No, no, no. God's words already said your anger is not so righteous. Your anger's not 
going to fix anything. And folks, I'm not saying we're never not going to be angry. I'm not saying we don't have to deal with things. I'm just saying don't trust your anger. Don't get this idea that your anger is going to do something good, is going to make something better. It's not. Now let me give you another verse to kind of wrap with this one, to use together with this one. Also comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be angry. That's God just knowing you. You're going to be angry. This is a fallen world. It's filled with six billion sinners. Somewhere along the way, you're going to be hurt and disappointed. You're going to be angry. I've said so many times, God doesn't command the impossible. There's not a single verse in the Bible where God says, it is wrong to be angry. You can't be angry. I can't can't obey that command. I can't keep an emotion from entering my body. I I can't keep that thought of anger uh, from going through my mind. Now, I'm very responsible for what I do with it. So God is acknowledging you're going to be angry, but listen, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger lest you give the devil an opportunity. Now, a lot of people interpret this and use this in marriage conferences, seminars, lessons that, you know what, you don't go to bed while you're still angry. Now, Karen and I have been able to accomplish that, I think, in 22 years of marriage, like, oh gosh, upwards towards three or four times. Uh, that, that's, that's not one I, I get a whole bunch. And so, because I can't obey it, I've come up with a new way of looking at it. Okay? Here's what I think. And I actually believe this because you think about it. It didn't say when you're angry with your wife, get it right before you go to bed. No, that's with anybody on the planet. Anybody where there's anger. I mean, folks, if you think about it, I can't resolve all problems by time I go to bed. But you know what I can do by time I go to bed? I can say, you know what? I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm ready to act. But I better not trust my anger. I better start praying about God's way of handling it. I better start praying about, God, I'm going to leave this in your hands. I'm going to start praying about when should I, if I should confront it, when I should confront it. I'm going to start praying about mouth control. I'm going to start praying about, Lord, when, you know, I'm angry because I'm wholly, totally focused on my need. But as I go to express what my need is and how that's been failed, help me to see their need. Help me to see what's happening in their life, that 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 failure happened, that 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 thing got messed up. You see, what happens by time the sun goes down is I begin to to yield this and give this to God and seek God and trust it. Because if I don't, what happens when we go to bed angry? Woo, boy, we start building it up. That's where it goes from a level five offense to a level 10 offense to a level 15. And man, we are loaded for World War Three. Because they burned a potato. I mean, come on, really? War over a potato? But that's what we do because that's what Satan does. That's what it means to give the devil an opportunity. So folks, I've got, I've got, I've got these two passages, James 1 and Ephesians 4, and, and here's what they say to me. Here's what God is saying to me. Randy, you're angry. Be careful. I know you're going to feel compelled to step out and to deal with this anger. As you step out there, please realize the chances of you making something better here are super low. The chances of you throwing open the door wide to Satan and all of his influence and destruction, super high. The chances that you just add to the sin, that you add to the problem, super high. Man, folks, you see why I'm saying that, James 1? That needs to be a memory verse. 
every time I step out there in my anger, I wonder. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, I mean, I, I think I've read that verse before. I'm pretty sure I have. But it has just struck me in a new way recently. How many times are we living with the thought, my anger's not going to fix this? My anger is not going to make this a bit better. So we slow down. We don't trust our anger. We trust God's way of handling it. And then when we step out there, you know what we do? Can you hear me now? When I do step out there, there's a situation. It has to be dealt with. It has to be confronted. But I'm going to work at being clear. I'm going to try in this moment. I mean, it's about me. That's why I'm angry. But I'm going to try to yield that and think about them. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to pray a lot about control over this thing. And I'm going to do my best to believe the best about that person in that situation instead of assuming the worst. Now, will doing this fix all those problems? Will it make communication just wonderful and beautiful? Yeah, kind of a lot more than usual. Will you settle for that? Folks, it greatly increases your odds of having better communication, certainly with your mate and with anybody else. But no, it will not fix every problem. You can do everything that you're supposed to do and they're not sorry and they don't change and they're not going to get better. Well, then what do I do then? Because you're going to have a lot of those thens. Well, you know what? God's told us exactly and specifically what to do in that place too. He says it this way in Romans 12. He says, friends, do not Avenge yourself. When it comes down to it, you confront it. It's not getting better. It's not going to get better. It demands that I jump in there and tear somebody's head off. God says, no, you know what? If it's not getting any better, then you just drop it. And you just leave it in my hands. You leave it in my way. You leave it in my time. Because you're just not going to make it better. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, this is where we really get down to this point. I'm either going to trust God or I'm not. Now, while that can be hard, can I just challenge you with this last thought? What has trusting yourself gotten you? What has your anger done? Can you prove Scripture wrong? Can you show where your anger has cleaned it up, made it better, made everything right, made everybody what they should be? Probably not. Can you hear me now? Let's pray. Father, your uh, word once again proves absolutely wonderful. The answers are always there. God, every mistake, every problem, every miscommunication we've ever had, we can go right to a scripture and we can see a place where I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't obey that. One place after another where we just chose not to follow your way. And therein lies our problems. We're sorry for that, Lord. Father, I pray that as an individual, as a marriage, as a home, we could understand what you're saying here. And we could begin to start communicating as you've called us and commanded us to communicate. God, I pray we'd, I pray we'd see some early success in this. God, we're kind of weak. We give up quick. If we go home this week and try these things, God, would you, would you give us some success? Help it to work. And Father, again, as I seek to communicate, may I remember you and all that you've done for me. 
May that be my motive. May that be our motive in communicating in a way that shows you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.